0: All right, let's uh, get into God's Word together. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5 today, uh, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 12. We're going to talk about the danger of falling away today, which is a, we're in in one of the more difficult passages in Hebrews. And, um, you know, it's, uh, but it's one, it's a really necessary passage for us to get into. It's a topic that Hebrews brings up a couple of times and something that's important for us to study. You know, Several years ago, I came across the article uh, article by Justin Taylor um, where he referenced a book by Lee Strobel um, and uh, talking about uh, where, where Lee Strobel had told a story and Justin Taylor in his article brought up some, some things about a, a guy by the name of Charles Templeton. Um, now, you might not know who Charles Templeton is, but Charles Templeton uh, was a friend of Billy Graham's that when Billy Graham's ministry first began to really boom, uh, he was with Youth for Christ, and he would preached these like youth crusades around the nation, and, um, and, and, and Templeton also did this, so they were friends. And they were both preachers, and this was a man who was friends with Billy Graham. He had preached to thousands of people, had a budding ministry. He kind of came to a crossroads in his life where he began to really have doubts about the Christian faith. Had a conversation with Billy Graham where the two of them really went two different directions. And ultimately, Charles Templeton decided to walk away from the Christian faith, um, to reject the Christian faith and 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 to walk away from it. He actually declared himself an agnostic and he wrote a book about his leaving, and this was the title of the book, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. And sometime, uh, I think it was the, Lee Strobel interviewed him, I think it was for his book, The Case for Faith, or The Case for Christ, I think it was The Case for Faith, and, um, and Strobel was interviewing him, and he, and he asked him um, about Jesus. And what do you do with Jesus? How do you assess this? Like, you know, someone who's an agnostic now, someone who had, was a preacher, And who is now doesn't profess to be a Christian any longer. What do you do with Jesus? And he he said, everything began to change about him, and he began to talk about Jesus, and he he actually referred to Jesus as the greatest person to ever live. I think at one point he even said something like, the most important person in my life, in the sense of he had an incredible impact on me. And he talked about him in all these ways, but then he he began to get choked up. And he said, you know, he, he said, ultimately he said, I miss him. And that's always been a scary, alarming, sobering story to me. Incredibly sad statement to think that someone could profess Christ, could proclaim Christ, and then walk away and become an agnostic and write a book titled Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. And and late in life, we talk about how they miss Jesus. Just an incredibly sobering, sad reality. You know, We all know our own stories of people who maybe professed faith in Christ and then at some point decided they weren't going to be a Christian or they stopped living like a Christian or whatever. They kind of go their own way and you can't find them anymore, right? We've all seen the stories, heard the stories. Uh, Maybe somebody out there watching is one of those stories. And and people ask questions sometimes. They'll say things like, you know, what do you do do with these kind of things? And people ask, they debate things like, uh, can someone lose their salvation? Can someone be a Christian? Can they come to real faith in Christ and then do something to ultimately lose their salvation? Can I lose my salvation? Some might wonder. If so, what would it take? And here at North Park, uh, we believe, and I teach, uh, the doctrine of eternal security. And what that means is means is when someone is truly converted, when they truly come to Christ, they can never lose that. It can never be taken away. They can, they're once saved, always saved, is the old saying. Truly saved. If saved, always saved. And the Bible's clear on that. But it's also clear that you can be deceived. It's also clear that some people profess to be saved that aren't saved. You know, the Bible teaches that not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. That it's possible to say a prayer and make a decision, it seems, to get baptized, to join the church, and even live for years what appears to be an outwardly Christian life, but actually never have truly believed, never have truly had heart change, never have truly been converted and belonged to Christ. Jesus even shared during his ministry the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils you may have heard it termed that there were like four different types of hearts that hear the gospel and seemingly receive it but only one type hears it and bears lasting fruit the other seem to receive the seed they seem to be wanting to to, to seem to bear fruit but ultimately they don't it dries up it falls away it never bears lasting fruit only the one does and jesus is saying there that there are people that can hear the gospel that can respond in some way to the gospel who can even look like for a while for a season to be a christian but ultimately will prove themselves to not be christian to have never truly believed the gospel the Bible is full of warnings like what Jesus warned about there. Today's text is one of these warnings. that it, it warns us of the danger of falling away and thus proving to have never truly believed. The writer of Hebrews wrote this to a congregation full of all types of people. Most of them, no doubt, he seems to believe, are genuine believers in Christ. But just like anywhere, some he fears may not be. And the truth is he doesn't know their hearts, right? Only God knows their hearts. He's not pretending to know their hearts. I don't know anybody's heart. You don't know anybody's heart. we, we, we're not into the heart judging business. So today's text, though, is a warning and it's an encouragement, right? Both. It's an encouragement to grow spiritually, uh, to pursue Christ. But it's a warning to not fall away from him, to not turn back, to not reject Christ and ultimately walk away. So our big idea today that we're going to get into is this. True believers in Christ will not ultimately fall away, finally fall away from Christ. Rather, we should mature, we will persevere, and we can have assurance. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. He writes, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now he's talking about the priesthood of Christ and the order of Melchizedek that we talked about last week. He says, For although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ to go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing and the washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So, point number one believers should mature believers should mature we should grow we should grow up in the faith the writer explains to them that they have become dull of hearing they need to understand things like how jesus is our high priest but they fail to because of their spiritual immaturity he says they should be teachers by this time they've been following christ long enough he doesn't mean like they should all be pastors or or like maybe even an official teaching capacity in the church his point is they've been following christ long enough that by this time they should be teaching other people, discipling other people, investing in other people. But they need to be taught the basics of the Christian life again. They're living like spiritual infants. He says they need milk and they should be eating solid food. But they can't handle the solid food. Listen, I'm the father of three. And my wife Christy and I, we brought three different children home from the hospital at this point and we've watched them all kind of grow and, and mature and so you bring the newborn home and, and and their own milk or their own formula and then they progress from that and at some point they're eating the little baby cereal which is not like real cereal and uh, they have to eat that for a while and then they progress to like the baby food, right? Uh, the little um, bananas or whatever it may be, all the different little things, you know, whether you make it yourself or buy it or whatever, the little baby foods and then they, they slowly progress to where they can get food that they can chew, right? They don't even have teeth at first. And you don't hand a one-year-old popcorn, right? I mean, you, you wait a little bit, right? You don't, you, don't, um, uh, you don't hand a kid a grape for the first time without cutting it up. You understand these things. You don't want them to choke. They can't handle that yet. To this day, um, if I was to cook a steak, we're going to cut it up before we give it to our kids. They're just kind of not quite ready to work all of that yet. Now, here's the deal. As you grow up, you begin to handle more mature foods. As you, you stop needing only milk. You, you start actually craving, right? You start actually craving other foods. And it would be very unhealthy for uh, you to walk around, um, be physically unhealthy, for you to walk around only drinking milk or baby formula all the time. Uh, you need to move on. And the writer is saying, these people are acting like a 40-year-old with the infant's eating habits. It's weird. It's unhealthy. And it needs to stop. Christians are supposed to mature. At some point, you should be eating solid food. At some point, you should be able to handle the steak. The danger is, if you don't, if you don't grow up, if you don't mature, you're going to lack discernment in good and evil. In other words, this is not about just academia. It's about morality. If you want to be able to discern how to make good, wise, godly, moral choices, you need to be growing up spiritually. He says in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Spiritual maturity is not just about knowing a lot about the Bible. It's about knowing and applying the Bible in your heart and life in a way that you are trained through constant practice to discern good from evil. Spiritual growth doesn't simply mean being good at Bible trivia. You can be a very immature Christian and be good at Bible trivia. It's about being a hearer and a doer of the word of God. It's about digging into the word of God, understanding the word of God, and appropriating it into your life. So he urges them, go on to maturity. It's time to press on, he says. When he says, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, he's saying, he's not saying you need to mature past Jesus. Like, you don't need to talk about Jesus no more. That's not the point. He says, he says elementary, it's time for them to learn more about Jesus, to apply more about Jesus, to become more like Jesus. It's time not to move on from the gospel, it's time to dive more deeply into the gospel, to appropriate it more into their heart and in their life and to, and to, and to allow it to, to seep into every little nick and, and corner of the heart and life of the believer. Let me ask you, are you maturing spiritually? Are you pursuing spiritual growth? What is your spiritual appetite like? And listen, I have a responsibility as a, as a teacher, right? As a pastor, preacher, to offer... Uh, North part more than self-help and pick-me-ups. I have a responsibility to that. If I break out a bottle of milk every week, you're going to be anemic spiritually. And at the same time, you have a responsibility. We each have a personal responsibility to get into God's Word, to apply God's Word, to grow in God's Word so as to mature spiritually and to grow up in Christ. We have a responsibility to do this. And over time, a lack of spiritual growth, a lack of spiritual maturity, just a, just being stagnant can reveal a lack of reality. Listen, dead things don't grow, right? Dead plants don't grow, do they? When things die, they stop growing. And a lack of spiritual growth is an indicator of a lack of spiritual health. And it it can be an indicator of a lack of spiritual life, right? So if someone's not maturing and they're not growing spiritually for a sustained amount of time, they're they're spiritually unhealthy, they could be spiritually dead. I can't diagnose that for you, but I'm telling you, that's the reality. Something's not right there, and he's warning us here. And he begins to warn them of the danger of falling away. That's what his natural progression goes to. When he says, you need to grow up. You need to mature. You need to get into God's word. You need to to be pressing on in Christ and learning and growing and maturing and applying. And You need to beware of the danger of falling away. Look at what he says in verse 4 of chapter 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Let's pause there. So he says, we're not going to go back and lay this foundation because it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift. And he begins to to go through these list of things. talks about renewing them, uh, restoring them to repentance. You know, this is probably the most controversial text in all the book of Hebrews. It's a hard text. So when you read a hard text, just a little takeaway, when you read a hard text, a couple of different ways to do that, you can just kind of look at that text and just rack your brain to figure out what it means, and you might come up with like five different things it could mean. But to really understand what it means, you you have to look at it in context of the book Right. And so what is it in, in context of Hebrews? And then you have to look at it in the context of the New Testament and the Bible. And, and so because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Right. We, we interpret Scripture with Scripture and the Bible, do, the, the Bible does not contradict itself. And so we have to understand that when we go to the text. And, and so someone would read this and they say they might would actually say, I believe he's teaching that a Christian can lose their salvation. That's not what I believe. That's not what he's teaching. But some, if you just read that, and, you, and that's the only verses you read in Hebrews, or it's, uh, Hebrews is the only book you read, you, you look at that and you might get a little bit confused. Because these people sort of sound saved, right? Then they fall away. So did they lose it? What happened? Well, the Bible makes it clear that a believer cannot lose their salvation. A true believer, genuine believer in Christ, cannot lose their salvation. Let me read some verses to you. John 10, 28 and 29. Chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. Jesus said this, I give them eternal life, talking about his followers, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So Jesus there, talking about this security we have in him, no one snatching us out of his and the Father's hand. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. In him you also." When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, believed in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the, we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Sealed with the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through five, Listen to what the Apostle Peter says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Kept Kept through faith by God's power, we're being guarded through faith for our salvation, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And there's other places we could go and other things we could show. But for the sake of time, we won't do that. So he says that he's not teaching that a believer can lose their salvation. So what is he teaching? Well, there are some other thoughts that people have on this. Some think he's teaching a hypothetical situation that could never happen. He's just giving you a hypothetical, hey, it's never going to happen, but if it would or if it could kind of thing. I don't think that's what's happening here because uh, he, he, he brings up similar passages later in Hebrews. And, um, and the, remember, one of the themes of Hebrews is perseverance. Some think he's talking about a believer losing rewards. And I, really, that's one of the ones I have the most trouble understanding. I don't, I don't really see where that's at. So you really get down to it. it it's really this. Here's what he's teaching. Here's our second point. Believers will persevere. True saving faith is a persevering faith. Saving faith finishes the race. Saving faith continues in Christ. No, it is not possible to lose salvation, but it is possible for a lack of perseverance in faith to reveal a lack of true saving faith. I think uh, we've called, we, the, the term that we would use here, and maybe you've heard used before, apostasy leaving the faith. Someone who looks like a believer, professes to be a believer, but ultimately proves to not be a believer. Ultimately, they walk away. Ultimately, they reject Christ and his salvation. Listen to the description in chapter six, verses four and five. He says, this person has been enlightened. Once they've been enlightened, and that means they've responded, not in real faith, but they've responded in some way to the gospel. Some believe that he's actually pointing to baptism there, and the people he's talking to that have done this most likely have been baptized. He he says they've tasted the heavenly gift. Some thinks he's referring to the Lord's Supper there, but uh, more generally, the spiritual community uh, of blessings uh, that partake of the local church. They're in the local church. They've kind of benefited from the, the spiritual benefits of being in the local church. He says they've shared in the Holy Spirit. Some thinks he specifically, Something he is specifically referring to the laying on of hands um, here, um, but you know more generally they would say it's the spirit the Holy Spirit's work in the community look when we gather together as a church and we meet god's spirit is present he is active and he is Working, okay, and so he could be pointing to that. These people, they've they've seen it. They've seen the Holy Spirit work. They may have seen miracles. They've seen uh, the manifestation of spiritual gifts. They've seen people saved. They uh, they they've experienced in some way this share in the Holy Spirit. Whatever exactly he means by that, and then he says they've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. They have heard the Word. They have probably been moved by the Word. They've even seen God work in powerful ways. Maybe they've even seen things in their own life, right? That they would say, God had to have done that. And I'm gonna get to that in just a moment. See, what is it here's this point. That you can be in the community visibly, but not a part of the actual family of faith. Uh, You can identify outwardly, but internally not be a genuine believer. You can be at church where the Holy Spirit moves among his people. You can have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. You can sit under the word of God and see God move in incredible ways and miss God. They've seen God move, these people had. They, they, they've, they've seen what's going on as the early church exploded. They've professed that he's moved in them. They get it. They're not ignorant. They understand the gospel. They, they say they believe in Jesus. And, the, and you say, wow, this is... This is really alarming. It is, but listen to what Jesus said. It sounds very similar to something Jesus said in his ministry. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so not everyone, not everyone who proclaims Jesus is their Lord, calls on him as Lord, All of those people are going to heaven. He says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. They will be a people identified with the will of God and trusting and believing in Jesus and and following Christ and obeying Christ. And he says, that's what's going to characterize my people. In verse 22, he says, on that day, judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now think about that. Those people had prophesied, cast out demons, and done mighty works all in the name of Jesus. Jesus didn't say he forgot them. He didn't say they had something and lost it. Jesus said, I never knew you. In other words, when you were doing those mighty works, I didn't know you in my name. Uh, When you were casting out that demon in my name, I didn't know you. Uh, When you were prophesying in my name, I didn't know you. This is a stark, eye-opening, sobering warning. That you can be in the church, you can look like a Christian, you can even be a pastor, or a staff member, or a deacon, or a teacher, or a volunteer, and yes, you can be lost. You can be lost. That's these people. And they prove it, he says, these, these ones do, ultimately, by falling away. He talks about this idea of falling away. Now, what's that mean? This term means, in context, to willfully walk away and fully reject Jesus. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a turning away from Christ and the gospel and the community of faith, even. In context, you had Jewish people who had said they were now Christ who said they were now Christ followers, right? They, they believed, they said that Jesus is the Messiah. Things then get hard. Persecution comes into their life. Difficulties. And some of them seem to think, well, maybe I'll just go back to being Jewish and not being Christian. Maybe I'll just go back to the old covenant and leave behind this whole new covenant thing. See, they get it. They understand the gospel. They understand the claims of Christ. They profess to believe it. But now they decide, I'll just walk away from it. They never actually got converted. They never crossed the line of faith. They may have came right up to it, right up on the cusp of it, right there on the edge, but true faith was never birthed in their heart. And they turn away from Jesus and they walk away from him and his church. Go back to the world or back to their other religion or whatever. And this still happens today. People appear to come to faith. And at some point, though they give up, they walk, they, they, they walk away back into the world. Back away from Christ. At some point, they just, they just give up. They don't follow Christ anymore. And they reject him. They choose not to follow him. And these are the people he's talking to. These people were going back to Judaism. He's saying, that, whoa, whoa, what are you thinking? What are you thinking, he's saying? Remember the Adrian Rogers quote that I gave you. The faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. That's still a good quote. I think it's, you know, I don't know if it's original with Adrian Rogers. He said it, but that that, that quote's been around a while. And it's a good way to remember that saving faith perseveres. It continues. It continues to follow Christ. You don't just, saving faith is not I made a decision when I was eight and that's the end. No, it's I begin to follow Christ at a point in time and I follow him to the end for eternity. I die still following Christ. Imagine if there was a large race here in Baldwin Park. And For those that aren't familiar with our, our campus, our ca- campus is right here in, in Baldwin Park, 2047 Prospect Avenue. We're right across the street from Lake Baldwin. There's a big track around Lake Baldwin here in Baldwin Park. So imagine if we were going to get around that track and there was going to be a big race and about ha- everybody. Mark, set, go, everybody goes racing around the track, and about halfway around, everybody gets over by Gator's dockside uh, with the great wings and all that sort of stuff. And they say, you know what? About three or four of them decide, I'll just slip off in here and get this race. I'm going to go eat wings, right? Here's what you'd probably think, exactly what I would think. I'd think, you know what? They were probably hungry already and half committed when they lined up on the starting block. Right? I mean, it's like they weren't fully committed, man. They, they weren't really all in. Uh, they, they, it looked like it, they were running beside everybody else, right? They're there, they're going. They were there on your market, set go. They started at the same time as everybody else. They're running the race. but they something was going on there. You don't just I mean it's, it, this wouldn't even be that long of a race. They stopped for wings. They weren't really ever committed. I mean, it just couldn't have been, no matter what they might have thought, something's going on there. something's wrong. And we need to understand he's not saying these folks, stopped being Christians all of a sudden. He's saying they never were. There was something off from the beginning. Their falling away manifested a deeper issue, and that deeper issue was a lack of genuine faith. That's important for us to understand. Now then he says this. He says, he opens with, it is impossible, and then he goes on this list describing them, and he says to restore them again to repentance. What does that mean? Well, for one, it means that there's nowhere else to go. If you leave Jesus, there's no other place for salvation. No other way to repent. These Jewish people in the church, if they were to now reject Jesus and go back to Judaism, they were rejecting the only way to salvation. The Messiah had come. A second Messiah is not coming. You're walking away from your only hope. F.F. Bruce notes that this is at least from a human perspective, it's saying that at least from a human perspective, it is impossible to restore such a one. If you come to Christ and you understand his death and you understand his resurrection, the call to repentance and faith and salvation in him and all the beauty of the gospel and its truth, and that doesn't change you, it doesn't move you to genuine repentance and faith, if that doesn't convince you to go all in with Jesus, then what in the world will if the empty tomb don't don't convince you? If Jesus shedding his blood for you doesn't convince you, there's no other way. You've rejected the only hope. But it's also a warning that your heart can get hardened and that you will no longer desire repentance. F.F. Bruce writes, God has pledged himself to pardon all who truly repent. But scripture and experience alike suggest that it is possible for a human being to arrive at a state of heart and life where they can no longer repent. Folks, this just reminds you, you, you don't get saved on your time, you get saved on God's time. Salvation's a miracle of God. It's a miracle of God. It's a miracle of God. And so, man, if, if God deals with your heart, you respond, right? You respond. You respond. Listen to what he says. He says, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God. He's explaining why, it's impo- why, why the impossibility of here of renewing, restoring them to repentance. He says, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What a vivid portrayal. Crucifying Jesus again, holding him up to contempt? Harsh words, hard words. i give you a couple of quotes. George Guthrie says, about this, he says, quote, instead of being blessed by accepting the forgiveness found in the crucified Christ, the ones who have fallen away identify with those who use the cross as an ultimate expression of rejection. Somebody says look, this way, it's like you're joining the crowd that shouted crucify him. You're, you're, you're identifying, you're moving over into that camp. You're, Dr. Al writes it this way, he says, to fall away from Christ is to pour contempt on him which is the equivalent to crucifying him all over again. There's nowhere else to go. This is a serious sin. It's a serious sin to walk up to the gospel, to understand the gospel, for many to profess to believe the gospel, to walk away from it, to refuse, to go all in with Jesus, to refuse, to repent and believe, to to ultimately go another direction, to go back out into the world, to go back into whatever else. To depart the community of faith, to depart from Christ, it is serious, serious sin. He wraps up this thought with an agricultural illustration, talking about land. Look with me at chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and in its end it is to be burned. He warns here of judgment for those who ultimately, no matter what they've professed in the past, proved that they do not really belong to Christ. These folks are are like land that has had rain, but instead of bearing crops, is only bearing thorns and thistles. Ultimately, you have to burn that land off. True believers will ultimately bear good and lasting fruit. Those that do not ultimately do that, they, they ultimately prove that they're not truly believers. That's his point. That's the whole point of the land illustration there, and it's a warning of judgment. So, if you hear this and you think, well, is this me? <laughs> have I gone too far? Have I fallen away in such a way? Well, first of all, understand this God will save anyone who genuinely repents of their sin and trusts Christ. People who have committed this type of rejection will, doesn't seem, would desire real repentance, I don't believe. If you desire to repent and come to Christ, then that's the grace of God, and you need to respond. By trusting Christ. God's kindness, the Bible says, leads us to repentance. That's Apostle Paul, says that to the Corinthians. Same apostle, Apostle Paul says that faith is a gift from God in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. See, you cannot come to God at all without him drawing you. And if you desire to to come to God, to turn from your sin, to trust Christ and to truly follow him, that is a miracle. So repent and believe today. Do not play games with that. He warns us of this. At the beginning of the book, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, he says, As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Listen, if you hear his voice, if he moves on your heart, if you're convinced of the gospel, you don't harden your heart to that. You obey. You repent and believe, and you don't don't do it tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You do it today. To not respond is to harden your heart. And to risk hardening your heart to the point that it gets harder and harder to the point where you don't want to believe you don't want to repent you can't come to Christ without the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ this text is a warning it's telling you genuine faith is proven through endurance it's proven through perseverance not simply by what you say if it's real it will last it's that simple it's that simple it will last if it's real and if you've wandered away from God repent repent Right? And come home to Christ. If you're on the sidelines having yet to truly believe, and don't toy with God's grace. Don't let your heart grow harder. Salvation is a gift from God. Do not reject it. Repent and believe the gospel today. If you're a believer and you're messing around and you're wandering away and you're backslidden, repent and come back to Christ. If you're a believer and you're in sin, the Holy Spirit's going to deal with you. And God's going to call you back. You need to repent, and you need to come back to Christ. Now, here's the third thing. So, believers, we, sh- we should mature. Believers, we will persevere. And number three, believers can have assurance. Look at what he says in verses 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, he knows he's spoken pretty directly, right? He says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Kind of better things. Things that belong to salvation, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See, he's sure of better things for them. Things belong to salvation. He, he thinks the majority of them are, are genuine, in other words, but he wants to warn them in case, because some of them may be deceived. Like we said, he don't know their hearts. He's concerned, but, he, but he's confident that, that most of them are, are genuine believers because he's, he's seen the evidence of it. He explains this confidence, right? They've demonstrated a transformed life, he points out, their work and the love they have shown for the name of Christ and in serving other believers, right? That They've demonstrated their faith through a love of God and a love of others. He encourages them to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, to persevere, in other words, to continue on, he is saying. He warns against becoming sluggish and lazy. He wants to see them imitate the true faith of those who came before them. He is encouraging them to perseverance. And he's saying, I'm confident because I've seen fruit. I've seen the fruit of your faith. And see, his confidence reminds us that believers can have assurance. Our assurance is found first. first, It's in Christ in resting in him. Am I resting in Christ right now? Do I believe the gospel right now? Have I am right now? Am I, am I still someone who turns away from sin and am I still trusting in Christ? Right. If, if I'm trusting in Christ now, then I've, I've trusted in Christ at, at some point. But you have to have a, a moment in time where you come to faith in Christ. But the way we know that that's happened is because presently today we're still trusting in Christ and His gospel, And our continued obedience to Him, our continuing to follow Christ testifies of our continued faith in Him. It's not because we trust in the work we've done. It's because we know faithfulness is the fruit of faith. Living things produce. Living things grow. Living things breathe. God doesn't want believers doubting their salvation, but He also doesn't want unbelievers falsely assured. So God does two things in the Scriptures. He warns and He encourages. We need to heed those warnings. Believers need to be encouraged. Those who haven't genuinely believed need to believe. And we all need to understand the sobering reality about falling away. You know, I've got a, um, in our yard, we've got a uh, mango tree. And um, two mango trees, actually. One in the front and one over on the side. And Here's how I know it's a mango tree. Not because there's mangoes on it. I've yet to see a mango tree. A mango on our mango tree. I know it's a mango tree because the neighbor across the fence has the same tree, same leaves, right? Same looking tree, but he's, he, they've got enough mangoes on that thing to fill the produce section at Publix. I mean, there's mangoes everywhere. I, I'm always looking, waiting for one to fall on our side of the fence. And uh, one finally did, and the squirrel beat us to it, right? Um, it, it, but I know that the other two are mango trees because I look at that one and I go, oh, they've both got the same leaves. I, I don't know anything about trees. If it wasn't for that tree, I wouldn't know. I'd just think they're trees, right? But I've seen the fruit on his tree. I go, oh, it's got mangoes on it. It's a mango tree. The fruit reveals the tree. And here's the thing, Christian. Here's the thing, professing Christian. Here's the thing for all of us who are tuning into this today. If we don't have fruit, but only profession, we have reason to be suspect of the profession. That makes sense? Real faith in Christ brings about real transformation and real obedience to Christ. And as we trust Christ for salvation, and as we follow him, as we serve him and obey him and grow in him, our assurance will grow. Our assurance will grow. You'll grow and you'll mature in your assurance as you trust Christ, as you walk with Christ, as you, um, as you continue to grow in Christ's likeness. So let me ask you today, have you trusted Christ? And are you sure? Are you sure? Do you know that you've turned away from your sin and believed in Christ? There's only one hope of salvation. If we reject that, if we walk away from that, there's no no other hope. He's the only way. Jesus has come. He has lived the sinless life we can't live. We're all sinners. We, we all have a, a real spiritual heart problem. We need Christ. We're sinners. We're dead spiritually apart from him. We need to be made to live in Christ. And so we need to turn away from our sin and put our faith in Christ who not only lived a sinless life but died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. And if we'll turn away from our sin and genuinely trust Christ, God will save us. He'll put his spirit within us. Have you done that? Have you genuinely trusted Christ? You say, well, I had a time where I'll... I'll I walked down an aisle at a church. I got baptized. Have you genuinely trusted Christ? Are you trusting him today? Has he transformed your life? Is the fruit there? Some sense of fruit? Do you really believe you've trusted him? If you haven't done that, let me encourage you to do that today. If you'd like to talk more about it, email us at info at gonorthpark.com. We'd love to talk with you. But if you'll call on the Lord, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, he'll he'll save them, he says. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll turn from your sin today and embrace Christ, call out to him in prayer. He'll save you. Let us know if you do that or if you've got questions about that. Reach out to us. We want to celebrate with you. We want to help you. Info at gonorthpark.com. Do not sit on the fence. There is nowhere else to go. Only Jesus saves. And if the cross and the empty tomb is not reason enough for you to follow Jesus, what will be? That's it. Right? The empty tomb. That's it. Today, if you hear his voice, obey. By repenting and believing the gospel. Believer, we need to be growing. We need to be pursuing spiritual maturity. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to be appropriating it into our life and obeying it. We need to continue to persevere. We need to, we need to, to seek after and to pursue after Christ and to continue to hold to Christ and to take hold of the assurance of hope we have in Him. Let's do that together today. Pray with me. Father, We want to continue to persevere together in faith. We want to hold on to Christ, but we thank you more than anything that He holds on to us in these times and all times that for those of us who are in Christ, you hold on to us. And the reason we hold on to you is because you're holding on to us. And so that's such an encouraging reality today. But God, I pray for any that might be watching who who are considering coming right up to the cusp maybe of believing. but haven't believed? Who who or who are who are sitting there and they've got some sort of appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. They've never had their life transformed. They, they, maybe they've they've professed a faith, but they don't possess that faith. Lord, would you draw them to genuine faith in Christ? Let none of us be deceived. God, I pray that no one watching today would ultimately walk away and reject Christ, but Lord, that we would go on to full faith, genuine faith in Christ, and to pursue Him with our hearts and our lives. Lord, let us take the sober reality of the danger of falling away to heart, but let us be encouraged that we can have full assurance through Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.